They shoot the shit. They shoot, they shoot the shit. Shoot, 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 shit, shit, shit. Shooting the shit with Chippa. All right, welcome back, everybody, to Shooting the Shit with Chippa. Um, another uh, awesome, awesome guest, a guest you've heard before. This is now my third time with Andy Rodriguez. Um, so, uh, you know, without further ado, I'll just let Andy reintroduce himself to you guys. Hi, everyone. It's Andy Rodriguez here for my third time on Shooting the Shit with Chippa. Uh, been here before to basically just kind of redo my old college radio show spoiler alert, which is a lot of fun to do. Um, and most of the time you can catch me on Twitter where I am mostly just giving hot takes and or just uh, spitballing things. Absolutely. And being all around awesome. like. Oh. Much appreciated. We, we have found this awesome niche um, through this show and through followers of. We found the good part of Twitter. I don't know what happened, but you know, <laughs> I, I I rarely run into you know. I mean, I hear negative things, but I rarely run into negative confrontations on there. So I feel pretty good about that so far. I think you just like kind of found like a nice little group of like very amicable movie nerds. Yeah. And lucked out with that. Yeah, I got very lucky. Because, I mean, even even within the people that I know that disagree with me, like, I can drop a, you know, that I liked The Last Jedi without, you know, getting doxxed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know I mean, what that's I pretty mean? nice. I'm, you know, I, I run in a group that generally just likes The Last Jedi. Me too. So <laughs> <laughs> that's just kind of nice just to be like, oh, yeah, like. I don't live in like some weird parallel universe where people hate this movie. Right. I don't, I don't like that parallel universe. That makes me very angry. Uh, It's it's very strange because I walked out of that movie being like, that was awesome. And then I checked the internet and I was like, what? It was, it was a two part thing because I walked out going, that was awesome. And I can't wait to talk to everybody because everybody must think this is awesome. (laughs) <laughs> yes, no, that was my exact reaction. Like, I walked out of the movie theater and I was like, like, me and my friend, we both watched it, like, opening weekend, and we were like, yeah, that was awesome. Like, that was really cool. And then, like, I go on the internet and some people are like, hell yeah, The Last Jedi. And other people are like, fuck The Last Jedi. And I'm like, what the hell is happening? Yeah, it was, it was very, very weird. Um, So I'll, uh, We'll start off by um, playing Right Quote Wrong Movie, which you are now only the third person who's got to play it um, with the real deck. Haha. Um, I mean, there so, were a bunch. There were a bunch of people at the Talkbuster Live show, but um, you're the third person on this show. It's gotten ooh. to play with the real deck, which is cool. But I'll do a tiny bit of housekeeping. Um, I like to thank my fifteen dollar or more patrons by name. Mason, Christopher Finnick, Patricia Chipman, hi mom, and QK Campbell Jr. And welcome my new patrons, um, Alex Shaw, Andres Rodriguez, and Skullface. So Oh nice. Nice. So I, I think you're one of my my new ones within the last two months. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I became a patron of yours. I don't remember exactly when. Um <laughs> But I uh, kind of just got on board with like I need to start like actually putting some money. No, that. I appreciate it yeah. big time. And um, I saw it come up, and I'm like, man, I hadn't recorded one of these. I think you may have been that beginning of July may have been like the last 
recording I did before the live Talkbuster show. I kind of I had like months of backlog. So so I updated this list and I'm like, oh, wow. When, when when did he become a patron? I should have recognized this. I think that was maybe July. I think July was when I became a patron. Well, it was awesome either way, and I I, uh, I really appreciate it. Hey, so. man, you're doing good stuff, so I feel like you deserve that couple bucks, you know? All right, so since, since you know, this, this show is really just my excuse to hang out with, with friends that I hopefully will get the chance to meet someday, let's... um play some right quote wrong movie you remember how it's played good sir uh more or less cards against humanity but actually fun oh wow yeah there you go i I, (laughs) that that actually i really appreciate that um so uh yeah for those listening for the first time um it is very similar to cards against humanity we pull the name of a movie which would be the equivalent of a black card in cards against humanity and we each have a hand now officially have a hand of 10 cards to pick from with movie quotes that do not come from that film and we try to fit those quotes into the movie that we draw in a funny ironic or silly way um and uh that's about it um it's a blast um, to let you know, Andy, um, I've play tested this with some friends and gotten some good feedback about how to uh, make it. I, I won't. I hate using the word user friendly. It's more like more um, um, approachable by because you know a friend of mine doesn't do horror movies, and so they were like, "Chris, you have a shitload of horror movies in this," and I just don't know what any of these movies are. But what a lot of people do know are iconic names of characters and quotes or like synopses. So they're like, why don't you put like a one sentence synopsis on the on the blue card with the movie title and put a couple okay. character names? Because a lot of people know Pennywise, you know, for example, but right. might not remember that that's from it. Or a lot of people know Hannibal Lecter, but might not remember that's from Silence of the Lambs. And I'm like, right, that's a right. really good point. So yeah, that that yeah. that's coming down the pike. But I, you know. Obviously, okay. haven't updated cool, it yet. Cool, 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 so cool. Uh, again, that, that's so any feedback and any quotes that you can think of, I'm always looking, and that goes for people listening. You can now email me at the Chippa made this. That's the C H I P P A made this at gmail.com. and I would love to hear quotes and things to add to this game or feedback. So, are you ready, good sir? Okay. Yeah. Is uh, are the cards that you sent me on Twitter my hand for the game? They are your hand. Yes. And okay. I, I laid them out, took a snapshot, and put them away, so I do not know what they are at this point. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah, I'm just taking a quick look at my hand here. Of course. Uh, Okay, cool, cool. All right. All right. I think I'm ready. Is your hand acceptable, sir? Uh, It looks pretty solid. Okay. Our first movie is Police Academy 2. Their first assignment. Uh, I have actually never seen a police academy movie. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of sitting here going, how did that one end up in here? It must be because I have a good quote from it. So I'm actually going to skip by that because it's no fun if both of us haven't seen it. Uh-huh. Oh, neither of us have oh, seen it? Although I, I've, I've seen the first police academy. I, oh, no, I've seen the second one. That's the one that Bobcat Goldthwait's in. Um, okay. Anyway, let's pull another one. Haha, <laughs> Day of the Dead. There we go. Okay. All right. Let's see. And you can go first. Huh. 
All right, I'm going to go with the fact that I'm not Instagramming this right now is insane. Day of the Dead. <laughs> have you seen um, Jumanji, the new one, by the way? Yes, yes, I have. That's, I, that's one of my favorite lines from that movie. Um, <laughs> I'd say I'm a pretty darn good father. My father tried to eat me. I don't remember trying to eat Timmy. Day of the Dead. <laughs> I got to go with yours. Yeah, and it's from Fido, so that's almost a lob ball. I don't know if you've seen Fido. No, I haven't. Fido's like a, a, a low-budget-ish um, Night of the Living Dead type film um, where the people keep zombies like pets. Okay. All right. You lucked out with that one. Yeah, I, I definitely <laughs> did. All right. <laughs> next. Cool. So one to me. Ooh. Alien. Okay. Uh, let's see. Oh, man. I'm trying to think. Oh, this is mean. I might use this one. Uh, you might take this one. I'm not sure if I have a good one for this. Let's see. Okay. What's the matter? The CIA, the CIA got you pushing too many pencils? Alien. Predator. <laughs> nice. Um, I actually have two quotes from Predator in here. Um, so I, I had a few, and uh, some of them are just downright mean, so I'm not going to use them. And not, not mean to you, but mean to characters in the movie that is, isn't funny, but it's kind of ironic. But I don't know. I could just see this being a fun, um, <laughs> a fun crossover. Help is on the way, dear. With Robin Williams as Mrs. Doubtfire, for some reason, is Ripley running through. (laughs) (laughs) Is the best I can do there. Um, Just looking for that damn cat. Yes, exactly. And that's all I got for that one. All right. Yeah, I I struggled a bit with that one. I didn't really have like a good one for a horror movie there. So right, I think neither Uh. of us. I think neither of us get that one. Let's see. All right, so we'll we'll do two more then because this is fun. All right. Okay. Nope, not that one, because that one I can't read for some reason. Four Rooms. Have you ever seen Four Rooms? No, I'm, I haven't. That is a Quentin Tarantino, Robert Rodriguez anthology film. It's weird. Interesting. Yes, it's good. But I'm let's... trying to remember. What was there? Was Dust Till Dawn their other big collaboration? Was it a uh, Yeah, from Dust Till Dawn and Grindhouse, yeah. Okay. Okay, yeah. so Independence Day. All right. Independence Day. We're going to need a bigger boat. Mm, perfect. Yeah. Oh, that's it, honey. I quit. This job is just past the point of no return. <laughs> that's actually from the Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back deleted scene. Where Jay propositions a woman of the night um, oh. to do to do something incredibly fucking weird that he uh, um, improvs on the spot, and that's her reaction. No. <laughs> I could just see Will Smith saying this for some reason in Independence Day. I think you get that one. All right, I'll take that one. 
All right, and so let's see. I'm going to cut this deck. I just realized I I have two Forrest Gump quotes. Oh, you do? (laughs) Yeah, Anna Jay and Silent Bob Strikes Back. Oh, man. Um, Hey, Jumanji, welcome to the jungle. All right. Well, I already used that quote, so we're good. All right. I'm going to go meta with mine. Okay, go for it. I'm going to go with... Um, weird Jack Black meta-ness because he was in the remake of the movie that this was a quote from. Oh no, it wasn't airplanes. It was beauty killed the beast. King Kong. Jumanji, welcome to the jungle. Alright. Alright. I'll go with market research says people love monkeys. <laughs> you totally get that one. <laughs> <laughs> I love this monkey. See? <laughs> Freaking Wes Craven. <laughs> Wonderful Wes Craven cameo in Jane oh, Silent Bob Straight Back. Do you remember? Have you seen that movie? I've seen it, but it's been a while since I've seen it. So what they, was his part in it? They're filming a Scream film on the Miramax lot. And okay. Jane Silent Bob bust into it. And, the you know, they the Scream guy's chasing um, Sydney around. And she goes and rips the mask off, and it's a monkey. Oh, and Wes yeah. Craven's, Wes Craven's like, market research says that people love monkeys. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is fantastic. You get uh, that one. All right, one I, more. One more just for fun. Okay, okay one more. Um, just because I love this game so much. And I carry this deck around with me everywhere now. The Hangover. Okay. Okay. Oh, you're really doing it, aren't you? You're shitting in the street. Damn it all. <laughs> I love that freaking quote. Um, I have, oh, from Police Academy too, nonetheless. You have the right to remain silent, the right to a court-appointed attorney. You have the right to sing the blues. You have the right to cable TV. You have the right to sublet. The hangover. <laughs> I think yours that- still wins it. All right, you're doing it. You're really shit in the street. (laughs) All right, so that's right, quote, wrong movie for the... Is that the third time you've played that with me, or did it not exist the first time you were on? No, we played it every time. Oh, that's awesome. That makes me really happy. Yeah. Do you still enjoy it? Has it it run its course? Uh, It's fun. It's still fun. Um, I think as long as there's, you know, new quotes and new things and we're not just repeating the same stuff over and over again. Right, and we didn't repeat, right? I I went back through our old... uh, thing just to be sure but yeah i'm pretty sure we haven't gotten any of like the same quotes good awesome all right well then let's go into it sir um as before um we're back to your old college radio show spoiler alert so give us an introduction and let's start down this rabbit hole all right so starting from the top Hello there, this is Andy Rodriguez, and welcome back to Spoiler Alert, where we talk about topics relating to pop culture in general, and what uh, those things, well, why do they matter? Why are they important? And today, my guest is, once again, Chris Tripman. So, how are you doing, Chris? I'm doing fantastic. I am pissing off the entire country by drinking a beer themed around Tom Brady. Oh, fantastic. Luckily, I don't care that much about football, so you're good. Yes, it, it's anytime I post photos of anything like this, it gets people really angry. It cracks me up. The beer is called The Goat. 
or the greatest of all time. It's actually pretty good. How? Yeah, what, it's a the, lager, right? Yeah, it's pretty good. It's it's a hella lager, so it's like a kind of like a almost like German or like um trying to think like Bavarian kind of thing going on. It's it's really good. Okay, yeah, I'm drinking uh tonight Mexican honey light lager from Indeed Brewing Company. Is it great? The beer. It's, uh, the beer is pretty good. What is it? It's five point two percent. It's yeah, pretty so it's easy going. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty light drinking. It's pretty tasty. Um, definitely a summer beer. Although summer has already run its course up here in Minnesota, so yeah, it's just slightly here. out of season now, but it still tastes good. So this beer is made by Bentwater which is a newer brewery in my hometown where I live right now in Lynn, Massachusetts. Okay. And the, the gag with the name is that Lynn actually has, and this is going to sound strange because Lynn has a, if you were around here, Lynn has a pretty bad reputation as far as cities go for crime and yeah, poverty. Yeah, I think you mentioned it. Nonetheless. But we have some of the best water in the state. Interesting. Um, we have several natural spring reservoirs and in like the mid early mid nineties, they put in like a state of the art um, water treatment facility. And so I remember my dad when I was younger saying, you know, like you'd bring your pool water to get tested and they'd be like, wow, like you're taking this right off the tap. Like this, this shit's great. And so uh, the folks at Bentwater, that's how they came up with their name because they wanted to do a brewery. So they went to find out, you know, what do we got to do to the water? And they were basically just taking it as is, man. It's perfect. Nice. And so they were like, well, that's weird. So they worked that into the title. Nice. Nice. Yeah. No. Um, I remember growing, uh, when I lived in St. Louis for a while, it was a thing where like St. Louis water was considered really good, but not because, you know, the the river water was particularly great, but because Anheuser-Busch subsidized, like, water treatment all across the city. Of course they did. Yeah, because, well, they need a shit ton of water for their brewery. Um, so it ended up just being a thing where St. Louisans were like, yeah, we have really good water. Um, <laughs> which is not, you know, really anything to do with the geographic area. It's just because a very large mega corporation cleans it. Yeah. Because I think it was Mark Twain, like, famously said, like, you could get a cup of our river water and stick a spoon in it and it would stand upright. Ha! Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. The so, sludge, Missouri the water rivers is... of Missouri. So Missouri water has come a long way. That's fantastic. All right. So yes, sorry for that little aside, but let's um let's topic it up, good sir. I'm happy to be here. All right. All right. Got my list of my big old Google Doc of topics. And I'm just gonna take a look at it. Let's Topic roulette. Let's go. Let's see. I'm just gonna just take a look at this here. Let's see. I'm trying to. I should have marked the ones that we already talked about previously. Oh, well, it'll, it'll come to us, or we can just talk about it again. <laughs> yeah, no I one mean, will care. They're evergreen. <laughs> let's see. I got a topic here. Uh, let's see. Superman hits hardest when you need him most. Oh. Uh, other things. Oh. Was, 
let's see, Western superhero comics, weird distance from anime and manga. Oh. Uh, symmetrical shots in prestige television. Whoa. <laughs> this is right up my alley. Let's see. Why did podcasts become the home of true crime? <laughs> I mean, the easy answer would be serial, but I'm sure that there is a more in-depth conversation there. Yeah, I feel like we should we should put a pin in that one, and I should listen to some true crime podcasts. Yeah, because there's like a million of them. So, like, why why did podcasts become the home for true crime? And I have my ideas about it, but. Yeah, that's that's a fascinating one. That that could be like a whole a whole show, yeah. <laughs> like right there. Oh my god, that's a good one. So let's let's go back to the Superman one for a minute. I, I know I talk about Superman a lot, but you said Superman always his hardest when you need him. Yeah. And yeah. so what what was the impetus for for the actual name for that topic? So I was thinking about that, and I mean, thinking about when Superman has always been the most, I guess, relevant uh, culturally. Um, uh-huh. and, yeah, because, you know, I think at this point we all know that, you know, Superman was created by two Jewish kids uh, in the middle of, like, the Great Depression Yep. Uh, and, you know, originally Superman wasn't fighting like big super villains. He was fighting like landlords and mobsters and stuff. Yep. Um, and it got me thinking about like, what were, you know, the points throughout like the 20th and 21st century in which Superman has been the most relevant. And, you know, when you think about it, you know, it was mostly you know he was pretty strong from like the 30s through the end of world war ii then like you know the superman radio shows were hummed along pretty well through the 50s um then the 60s you know just kind of in general the silver age was starting up and in general that was a pretty big boom time for both marvel and dc um but I wouldn't like specifically describe that as like a massive time for Superman. But then you get to the seventies and the late seventies, and that's when Superman the movie comes out. And I think it's pretty fair to say that people were very jaded in the seventies. Uh, oh yeah, oh yeah. They they and and you know that's that's the really interesting part is you know it's fairly obvious why a character like Captain America takes on um, people from different walks, right? Because you get Captain America can be equally loved by a hardcore, you know, militaristic conservative, like military minded person and a very, and a very liberal person that he, he can embody what you want him to embody. You know what I mean? But it's interesting to me that Superman always seems to come into play like you just mentioned the hardest when people are jaded when they have to look to something alien to be the ideal version of themselves right right rather than another like them and it's it's interesting that superman and i guess i guess that makes a lot of sense to why the the post 9-11 imagery is both so jarring yet still feels so comfortable with superman because it's that 
it's still that kind of like, okay, you know, Superman's kind of broken now. We're kind of broken now. So we're looking away from ourselves. Right. Do you know what I mean? For, for, for an ideal, I'm really surprised. And this is a weird thing that this topic's going in this direction in my mind, but like we've had Superman red sun, which is the idea of like, what if, what if Superman became the Russian ideal instead of the American ideal, which is cool. But I'm really surprised that throughout all the wartime, like you see World War II and even up into the 70s, excuse me, and even in nowadays, that whereas Captain America gets pushed hard in militaristic times, I'm surprised that Superman has never become like the, well, wait a minute, the ideal human, is that pushing more into like the Aryan thing? And now all of a sudden, is that something bad? Do you know what I mean? And it's like, oh, I, I've never really seen them do that. Um, as in, like, ever, like, seeing, like, that take on it? Because I know, like... Yeah, yeah, like... DC and, and I, has done the Earth X thing. Where, that's like, true. That's where, true. Where they had the whole, like, oh, what if the Nazi, like, Superman landed in Nazi Germany, I think... Yeah, I was forgot the story. about that one. Yep. Um, yeah, and that was um was a bit of nasty work. Um, but it made I'm, for I'm, a pretty decent crossover. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm just surprised that's never been like the undertone of the portion of the public that you know, like like Spider-Man comics always have the and, and Batman always has the okay, well, there's people that accept this person because they're helping, but then there's always the side that's like, no, a person that does stuff like that inherently sh- is either either a criminal or they're bad. And I'm surprised in like the good Superman comics, there's never been. And I mean, the comics are Superman supposed to be a good guy on the good side, you know, landed like, like oh, the regular like, yeah, canon like, where there isn't like, you know, like bad fans or like, yeah, like fans that like misconstrue him in a negative way. Yeah, where he gets like, you know, just a straight up fascist following. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. I think that that could be an interesting take. I know I'm pretty sure that there are some people who like just wince at that because, you know, in the post Zack Snyder take of Superman, people just don't want anything, you know, approaching like Edge Lordy it, Superman. Edge Lordy Superman. People are a little concerned about that. But I think the idea of like, oh, like, what if somebody takes the wrong lessons from Superman within the the world of DC could be interesting. I think what was it? What was that story? Um, what's so funny about Truth, Justice, in the American Way? Yep. Uh, where he fights the the knockoff authority. I can't remember what they're called within DC. Yeah, I forget, uh, but I, I yep. <laughs> yeah, that was you know it's a really good story. Um, you know that's a pretty solid one. Um, but I think I'm just like trying to circle back around. But um, no, of course, I just yeah, that was the first thing that popped into my mind when you said it. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, that's why is my brain going there? That's dark. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, but like circling back around, like I think we're pretty well primed right now for a version of Superman to really hit the public consciousness in a big hard way. Um, I think weirdly like the fact that 
you know, a Superman movie came out in 2013 when we weren't really feeling as, um, I guess, nervous as a society. Right. Is maybe part of why Superman didn't really hit quite that strongly at that time. I think in general, um, Superman... I mean, I think in general, part of it is that Superman is a character that works best when he's not fighting a big, like, cataclysmic enemy. Um, I think in general, that's just uh, not the most interesting way to tell Superman stories. Superman works best when he's walking around trying to fit in. Yeah, yeah, or when he's just helping people and not necessarily, like saving the universe you know I, I right like i mean there there are definitely good stories where superman saves the day i mean death and return of superman is a pretty good story um but it's certainly not what i would consider one of the like if i were to recommend really good superman stories to someone I would go with All-Star Superman or Superman for all seasons before I would go with Death and Return. Right. It, it it seems that they're they're doing really good things with Superman in the in the animated stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Which is cool. I've I've caught a few of those and it's like, wow, you you kind of know how to handle your character here. But but the fact that you bring that up in today's world like right now, what do what what do you and I think is it the Superman that the world like is ready for or the Superman that you think people need? Do you know what I mean? Like what, what is, I don't think I don't wholeheartedly dislike Zack Snyder's take on Superman. I just don't think they did anything with it. Like they, they set us up for a whole lot. Yeah. They set up, they, they set us up for, okay, cool. You gave us a Clark Kent origin story. Awesome. So in the next movie, we're going to see Goody Two-Shoes Clark Kent. And then they just went straight to, oh, no, we're, we're just going to keep the Edgelord thing going on. And I'm yeah. like, oh, damn it. Like, I was really hoping you were going somewhere with this. Yeah, so, like Clark Kent with angst should have been one movie. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I'd be fine with it. You know what I mean? Because if, if, the Clark Kent that shows up at the Daily Planet at the end of Man of Steel looks and sounds like... You know, he's a new Henry, character. And Henry Cavill, though, it looked like he was almost doing a nod to Christopher Reeves. And it's like, cool. Right. He's kind of bubbly and silly. And I'm like, all right, this is great. This was an origin story. I like it. And nope. Sorry. So do you think do you think a legacy version of Superman is what shows up and potentially becomes huge in the public conscious, like the thing that hits hard right now? in today's society or do you think it's an altogether new iteration we haven't seen yet i think it depends on what i think for most people i think superman matters when he is a presence that is doing active good you know when uh when he comes out in 1938 38 i believe yes because yeah, last right. year was the 80th anniversary yeah, that sounds right yeah, because Man of Steel came out on the 75th. Um, so with that, you know, Superman instantly became relevant because he was fighting 
basically things that like just were immediately impacting people, landlords, robber barons, things like that. I think we're really posed right now for just maybe for this character to return to his roots as a character that basically advocates you know social change social justice um and you know i just said like a four-letter word for some people right there oh i I Uh, think it's great yes yes come at me everyone come at me and andy let's do it yeah but like um (laughs) you know superman should always be um should always remain relevant by fighting injustice that we actively see in this world. I think in some ways, you know, the whole idea of like, oh, DC is mythology, DC is characters who are gods trying to become people kind of, uh, you know, uh, gets in the way of, you know, what actually makes these characters relevant to people and what makes them impactful. And for a lot of people, it's, you know, they want to see somebody who's, you know, all powerful, just like freeing wrongly imprisoned people and things like that. I think, you know, that level of catharsis to see someone stand in the face of something that's so obviously wrong and say no is kind of what they want out of Superman. So um, I think in that case, I don't know in terms of movies, I don't know when we're going to see Superman again, to be honest. Um, I don't know if Henry Cavill has ever officially said that he's not in the movies anymore. I'm not sure if that's... He has. I believe he said he retired from the character. Okay. In that case. And I know, like, there was those rumors for a bit that, like, they were eyeing Michael B. Jordan and stuff like that, which I think would be an exciting take. Um in general how do i feel about it i think it, it it's not so much who, who the character is in terms of the actor playing them or what it is in terms of like um what continuity it's in i think it's just what the portrayal of the character will be ultimately right i, I see i see like a, a weekly TV show where Superman is just spending the majority of his time on picket lines. You know what I mean? And Honestly, stuff. yeah. That's like, like where my brain's going, or I, like, or like in like marches. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah. I know that I know that that's just pushing that four letter word further, but that's really where he is in today's no, society. Absolutely. I, if you were to translate who that character was 81 years ago to today, that's basically the position he would be in. You know, he would probably be, you know, in front of a, of a black lives matter March or in front of a protest of a prison camp. And, you know, you know, you could easily write stories where like, Oh, Clark Kent is, you know, like they're reporting on a story. And then, you know, later on Superman intervenes when like, the police are about to get violent with protesters and stuff. like oh that. Oh my God. I would love to see that one. Cause, cause you know, someone out there is either going to, or is trying to do that with captain America somewhere, but it I'm makes, sh- it makes even more sense with Superman. Absolutely. Cause Superman isn't tied into a government. Right. Superman, Superman is alien. 
Superman, Superman is, is world the Earth as yeah. much as he is American. Yeah, exactly. It's it's such a cool topic. I uh, and and he's still my favorite superhero, and and I agree. Same, it, same. It's it's the stories when when you don't have the Neo from the Matrix problem that you get with Superman when when you spend the whole time as Superman the all powerful fighting another all powerful. It's way less interesting. Yeah, like, I mean, occasionally those fights are, like, cool to read and cool to watch. But in the end, like, those usually don't have nearly as much meaning or nearly as much impact. Like, I'm trying to think of what my favorite Superman stories are, and almost none of them end in a fight, really. You know, it's... Right. Now you've it, you've you've heard that I guess the the DC TV show universe is um bringing Brandon Ruth in to be yeah, Superman again, yeah, which I think br- is awesome. They're bringing him back, yeah. Which is very cool. I I thought he was great. That that movie's a bit of a mess, but I thought he was great. Yeah, no, he portrayed the character really well, and I think it's interesting that one of the most memorable things. Like, the two maybe most memorable shots or sequences in the movie are Superman lifting the falling plane and Superman taking a bullet to the eye. Oh, and the bullet react. to the eye was so good. Yeah. <laughs> and when you think about it, like, n- neither of those two moments are fights or action scenes. No, they're they're tiny little self-contained things of saving people like the bit in Iron Man 3. Three was that Iron Man three or was that when he saved the yeah from the plane falling out of the plane yeah three it's just such a small little character moment even though it's a big action sequence you know and it's and that's the stuff I love about Superman right you know it it, it's the equivalent of like oh I'm plugging a leak you know what I mean for him (laughs) you know when it really comes down to it but it's like it means so much it's and, and that's that's I think the big problem that a lot of people and that I ended up having with, with man of steel is that, you know, he's senselessly allowing people to get hurt right. in that movie instead of protecting everyone. But if that had been a, Oh shit, you know, like the next movie was Superman sitting down, you know, watching news footage of what he did and like getting it like an aha moment of, Oh no shit. Like I, I'm an empath. Like I didn't realize that. That's right. something I've learned. That's that's where I relate to these humans that I didn't know about. Like that's my that's my purpose, you know. Right. And then all of a sudden we get a movie of you know Superman learning how to protect, and it's like right. oh he, you know like an entire montage movie. You know what I mean? And like oh I would love that of him. You know like you know like fixing a broken Mount Rushmore. You know and it was like yeah give me more of this. Woo-hoo. Yeah, like. Just when you think about like what are Superman's most iconic poses and it's usually him standing either arms crossed or his hands on his hips, you know, and both of those poses are not like I'm going to fight you poses like when you think of Batman, you you think of him like crouched on a gargoyle or like him posed with a batarang around to strike. Um, But with Superman, it's always him like in these poses of like. I can take it like there's yeah. nothing you can throw at me that I can't take. And I think that says the difference between Superman 
and a lot of other superheroes is that he's not just the guy who can dish it, but he's the guy who can take it. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's awesome. Wow. All right. So, so yeah, let's, let's hit on another one. Cause sure. I, I, you, you oh. pick this time. I just, that one, that one struck me as, Ooh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see. I'm trying to think. Let's see. We, we've kind of danced around one, um, that I've mentioned on a previous episode. Um, why are nerds so precious about Watchmen? Ooh. You know, this right. might end up being a very comics heavy episode. All uh, right. All right. Yeah. Let's let, let, yeah. I'll let you start on that one. Yeah. So like, um, you know, this has kind of been a topic that's been circling in my mind since, uh, probably before Watchmen came out. Uh, the series, not, not like before the adaptation of Watchmen came out, but the before Watchmen comics. Yep. Um, and there's this way in which people talk about Watchmen and, um, talk about it as this like unencroachable story this um this narrative in which like anytime you add something you're taking it away from it and this and that and any adaptation any uh you know additional series to it is just going to like further um you know stain the legacy of this story and I'm I'm having some difficulty reconciling that, um, you know, thinking of it as a work of literature. Um, I can understand people's issues with, you know, new stuff coming out about it on behalf of Alan Moore, because Alan Moore was definitely screwed on that deal uh, yeah, when it oh, came yeah. to Watchmen. Um, it, you know, if we're talking about, you know, for the sake of Alan Moore, like, yes, like it's, it's definitely fucked up what DC did. Um, but in terms of like Watchmen as a story itself, it's very difficult for me to really get on the side of being anti new stories in the, in the venue of Watchmen. No, yeah, I could, I can definitely agree with that. Um, it's, it built a world, and w- when you build a world, I love seeing more stories created in a world. Um, and to me, to me, there's nothing new you can do unless it retcons something that I love about the original work. There's nothing you can really do that's going to take away from it because I can just accept it as not existing. I think the hard part people have. And I'm just trying to deduce it because it's like, you know, I found a lot of the changes with the Lord of the Rings to be a lot more palatable than my mind even goes to when I think about what could happen with this this Watchmen TV show, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, because the Lord of the Rings, like, what do I think visually when I think about the Lord of the Rings before the movies existed? I think of the Rankin Bass Hobbit and I think of the, um, the Lord of the Rings stuff that Ralph Bakshi did. And those are iconic in and of themselves, but they're not singular. You know, Tolkien still owns the singular work, 
You're right. Mm-hmm. So everybody else is just adapting. But when you have a graphic novel that like the Watchmen that can be treated as a piece of literature, which which I honestly believe it it should be and can because the writing I mean, yeah, and, like, the writing all... and world building in that thing is insane. Right. But and be... like if we're just approaching like this under the the perspective of media analysis, we should treat all all comic books as I agree. literature. No, I, I yeah. completely agree. You know, there's but, bad and good literature, but it's still literature. Right. Um, but but I think that's where the the hard part for some people comes in with the Watchmen because it's not singularly written word where you get to put all the images together in your head. And it's not singularly images where you have to fill in the subtext. It's it's both. And right, and so it's the, always existed as this right. one thing. And so both of those things are so married to each other, and it would be so lacking if you removed one that right. now people are attacking, when they adapt it, they're attacking both your given-by-the-artist visual interpretation and given-by-the-artist written interpretation. So it it kind of transcends... Like books that get adapted are so hard to adapt. Like Stephen King is so hard to adapt because his books, his books force you. They're they're written and they're forced to create a visual in your head. He he gives you time to sit there and build, you know, describes the color of the walls and the smell of the room, you know. So he's a very dense writer. So he makes you own it. He makes you own, he makes you take ownership and Watchmen you have to take ownership of it when you read it. So adaptations for people feel like you're, I guess, you know, similar to what we said about the last Jedi at the beginning, it, it forces you to get so ingrained in it that you feel like you feel like somebody's slighting you if they don't do it the way that your brain has it. And I guess that's why I think nerds people are you know it's so precious to them because it's not just it's not just there for entertainment's sake right you know what i mean it it becomes like a it's such a game changer but 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 i also agree with your point that when you get down to it it still leaves a world to be explored and it leads leaves more stories to be told Right, right. And so, and, why, and so why can't we allow that? Right, and as much as it being a piece of literature, once a literature has, you know, entered the, the public consciousness, it's just eventually going to get to a point where people are going to find new permutations of it, you know? Um, is parad- um, you know, is... <sighs> like Dante's Inferno less of a work because it it's a permutation of biblical stories and uh right. and a growth upon them uh or paradise lost for that matter and no <laughs> they're they're not lesser for that um you know in the end um eventually things with impact will create new permutations from it and that's uh what i'm thinking about with the new hbo watchmen um you know for better or worse 
however this show turns out, you know, I'm optimist, you know, cautiously optimistic uh, that it'll be good. Um, I'm not, you know, opposed to it existing like some people are because it'll besmirch Watchmen because in the end, you know, I'm not taking Watchmen as a holy uh, text, you know, it's a very important work, it's a very good work, it's a classic, it um, legitimized comic books, at least in the US, uh, for a lot of people, and um, it's very much about time for it to eventually, you know, move on and to have its permutations, you know, whatever the quality of a doomsday clock is, and- what I've heard is the quality is not particularly great. Like it's come to a point where like important stories are just going to have new contributions added to them as people want to grow and evolve the work. Um, It becomes a little questionable when those classics are owned by one major corporation. Um, Yeah. (laughs) And they and a major corporation gets to dictate what is canon and what is not. But then, you know, death of the author, readers can just ignore that. Um, but yeah, you know, it's it it just kind of comes down to like if we're going to for me, it's if we're going to accept that these works are important and that they mean things to people, we have to accept that they'll mean things so much that people will want to create new additions to it and to recontextualize it and readapt it and spin things around and change them. I, I agree. And you know, another thought I had while you were saying that is, you know, another realization is that Watchmen as, as important as it is as a comic book in and of itself is also very important as a, you know, fourth wall breaking, um, look in the mirror for, for comics as well. And I think sometimes people, when a thing takes on a meta narrative of itself, like for example, a film like cabin in the woods, which is, you know, that movie is, is, is in and of itself a self-contained story. But what makes that movie so great is that it winks and nods and knows, all of this other stuff about every other horror movie you've ever seen. And it wants to bring you in on the joke, a movie like scream scream is a great horror movie in and of itself, but it's a takedown and a rethink and a, you know, shining a magnifying glass on the genre. And I think when people do that, and sometimes when the only takeaway that certain people get from it is that that's the only thing that's good about it. Mm -hmm. They sometimes worry that if you're going to, say like use a watchman story to shine a different self-aware light on comics, but not the same self-aware light that all of a sudden it's soiled or sullied by you doing it more than once. And and I don't agree with that, but um, I could see people taking that approach. You know, it, it, it's kind of like the same thing. um, You know, us folks say every time, you know, an edgy R rated horror, uh, edgy R rated superhero movie comes out, you know, when the Dark Knight came out, it was like, oh, great. Everything's going to have to be hyper realistic now when Logan comes out. It's like, okay, cool. All the X-Men movies are going to be freaking R rated and sad and Westerns. You know, it, it, I think people, people are afraid again, like you said, that the, this holy thing that's holy to them 
is going to be sullied by these other works. But I, I love that we live in a world where they're willing to take chances with all these different takes on stuff. Right. Right. You know, um, once again, you know, it's, if if we are to say that these things are important, then we have to reconcile with the fact that people will want to do something with it then. You know, if somebody loves something, they're probably not going to leave it alone if they love it that much. You right. know, if somebody is given the chance, you know, they're given the keys and being like, you know that, you know, amazing, incredibly important, impactful work that has influenced millions of people. You get the chance to to add something new to that. You know, who, like, I mean, there are going to be people who say no because they're, you know, concerned about, you know, like, can I live up to that? But, like, we just have to understand that there are going to be people who are excited and say yes. You know, um, case in point, have you watched the Dark Crystal show? Not yet. I haven't had the chance to. Then I'll I'll leave that for a topic for the future. But let me tell you something that I was afraid could never be harnessed again and was actually very skeptical just because, you know, Netflix is putting their hands in everything now and they they still continue to do great. Right. Um, But it's just like okay, a a redo of a Jim Henson property that not everyone liked all that much anyway. This like weird high fantasy movie that he decided to make with all puppets is being done by the guy that directed Hulk and the Transporter. Right. And I have no basis of knowledge to think that any of these people... I mean, it's just, it's an art form that doesn't exist anymore. People don't do puppet movies anymore, you know? So I think the confidence level was low, everything from it looked great, but it is unabashedly incredible, you know? And so who am I to, you know, judge a book by its covering, you know, the, this Watchmen thing and any adaptation or new iteration of it. I mean, there's been others, right? It's not like the, the Zack Snyder movie I thought was great. And there's yeah, people yeah. that like were so annoyed by silly little subtle things he changed and adapting it that they just couldn't handle the movie. And it's like that, that is one of the pinnacles of near perfect adaptations in my mind for better or worse, warts yeah. and all. Like yeah. some of the stuff in that that's like, oh yeah, that didn't really work all that well in retrospect in the comic, and you just kind of went for it, didn't you? Right. <laughs> you know? right. Like he basically took the comic as storyboards. Yeah, it was brilliant. Yeah, it yeah. Was brilliant. And I'm not gonna say like it's an incredibly ambitious and impressive thing that Zack Snyder pulled off there. You know, I guess we're just we're gonna hit on Zack Snyder two times, but this time you know, come back on the positive side of things. Um, you know, I think in general, um, maybe, you know, I guess we maybe should have just a little more faith in the people who want to try and do something new with these big, important works. Cause I feel like, you know, the type of person who's really excited to do that maybe just deserves a shot. I guess. But um yeah, that's just kind of how I feel about it. Um you know, in you know, things that are important that matter to people, 
are uh, just gonna attract people who want to do new things with it and why not why not the original thing will always exist maybe not faith but maybe just less pessimism you know probably not cynicism but pessimism um about people you know trying to approach these big important works i mean you know in the end like a lot of it is just you know a company uh trying to make a buck but you know within these companies there are creatives and these creatives do want to try and make new things and tell excite you know new stories and convey new ideas so i just you know i i do want to have faith that people that you know writers and artists out there are trying to make something new i agree i agree so let's uh i'm thinking maybe try to pull out one more topic um yeah just because i uh I, i'd like to get to bed at a decent dish hour but i think we can do another 10 15 and, and call it yeah so. yeah so i picked the last one so i'll just shoot out a couple yeah yeah, yeah. And, that, and that was a good one yeah and uh you can just whatever you latch on to um so let's see um let's see this one is related to alan moore so let's skip that Mm -hmm. um let's see what is fast food what separates mcdonald's you wait three minutes for with a cafe or diner you wait five uh let's see Apple versus Android, Xbox versus PlayStation, PC versus Mac. What drives the war of corporate cult of personalities? Um, let's see. That's all. That's a long episode. That one. Right yeah. There. Western superhero comics. Weird distance from anime and manga. Uh, coming out and adolescence in queer narratives. Uh, symmetrical shots in prestige television. Uh, can a bad tie-in kill a band? Uh, you can cry at baseball or any sport for that matter. Let's see. Can we, why, uh, why is it difficult to pin a cultural identity to the 90s? That was probably a more difficult question to answer four years ago. Maybe it's more solidified now. Um, let's see. Yeah, I don't know if just like any of those interests. No, you, th- th- there's a couple of them. I, I think you know what is. It, if we're, I'm going to go with the first one you said, just because that 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 sounds like a fun topic. So, what but, is fast food? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is fast food? What separates some McDonald's that you wait three minutes at versus a cafe or diner you wait five? Yeah. So I, I was actually having an interesting conversation the other day with a friend from work about exactly this about how i hadn't really been until i had kids to like a mcdonald's burger king etc in a long time and to me the thing that separated them when i was say 17 18 working at a blockbuster was price you Mm -hmm. know in 15 20 years the price of a burger and fries at like a 99 hasn't really gone up that much do you know right. what I mean? But the price at a McDonald's went from, you know, like a two cheeseburger meal with fries was like a buck ninety nine when I was seventeen. And right. now and now a value meal at McDonald's is like nine bucks. Right. 
you know, and, and, and I can go to the 99 and get, you know, a, you know, a, I would say, you know, there's still a quickness to it. There's still, you know, a level of lower quality than, you know, like a steakhouse or something. But in my mind, that's a more quality ingredient, like actually cooked for me meal. And that's only a buck or two more. Right, right. Like I went to uh, college in a real tiny podunk town in northeast Missouri um so you know we had um you know our fair share of uh chain fast food places you know we had our mcdonald's our burger king we had a wendy's it closed after my freshman year um uh and then you know we also had our fair share of uh, like our local diners and to be honest like yeah you could go and get um to mcdonald's and order off the value menu like a couple items um, for like three bucks or so. Or, you know, you could go hungover to the local diner and pay like six ninety five for a proper like eggs, bacon, and hash browns breakfast. Right, that was actually cooked for you, like right, right. then. Right, right. And because it was a tiny town, the prices weren't that high. Um, right. And so I guess... So is, is it, it so is it a marketing term now more than an actual service? Right, cuz like you know necessarily like if you're waiting like, you know, 3 minutes for your fast food to arrive versus like you know, if a diner is, you know, relatively efficient, like they're going to get your food out pretty quickly. You well, know. We have we we have a um a a it's a local chain and there's only like four of them, but I wouldn't even call it a chain. They're just owned by a family around right. here. It's, it's a place called the brothers deli. Okay. And you go in and it's cafeteria style. So right. it's all, it's all short order cook stuff. So you go in and probably for five, six, seven bucks, you get like a home cooked meal, right. you know? And you're in and out of there quicker than you're in and out of there at a McDonald's at lunchtime. Right, right. Like, um, I can't remember what the name of this place was in St. Louis. Um, actually, Oprah briefly made a TV show about the place for her channel, um, but now the name escaped me. But it was uh, they had two lo- they it was a local place in St. Louis that had two locations, um, and it was also cafeteria style, and it was you know a lot of soul food. Um, you could get, you know, your fried chicken and greens and stuff there. And it was all really good. And you got served really quickly because it's cafeteria style. Right. Um, and, you know, that's a, pretty much as fast as any other fast food place. Other than the fact that you're waiting in a relatively long line because it's the church crowd. Um, right. But, yeah, like, w- what is the difference you know is it a mindset you know are you being you know because you walk into a mcdonald's your burger king uh your wendy's your taco bell um you're just put into a mindset that you're like this food that i'm given here is almost more like just for efficiency really than i'm enjoying it because right and, and i can accept that it tastes like it's lower quality because I I took that was my trade off for efficiency, but right. you can get. I, I would even argue you can get a more efficient 
meal at some of these places if you go at like a peak time, you know? Right. right. And it's almost like, I think more than anything, you might, you're probably being sold consistency more than maybe necessarily um, speed. Well, that's, that's where, you know, a pizza place like Domino's, which I would say if you were going to categorize consistency <laughs> as what makes it fast food, then Domino's for a delivery place is, is the fast food equivalent of like a pizza restaurant. Oh, it because, absolutely is. Because their whole thing is we guarantee you you're going to get in a certain amount of time. We guarantee you it's going to taste exactly the same as it did the last time you had it. You know right. what I mean? Right. And there's no inconsistency there. There's no, like they, their whole thing is that there's no margin for error. Right. Where we're like, you know, on, on a different end of it, you know, you go to like a, a pretty good pizza place that's just staying on top of their lunch crowd and their, their pizzas that are a higher quality than the Domino's are already made and they can just give you a slice right then. Right. So, so, and, and that's a better slice of pizza. Right. You know what I mean? It, it, and it might even be cheaper. Like I, I've, a lot of local mom and pops are less expensive than Domino's. Right. You know, right. they're, they're selling you deals. They're, they're selling you, um, efficiency, consistency and deals. I mean, look at like barbecue, right? Barbecue, the whole point of barbecue, like slow roasted, long seared right. stuff you know, is that you have to have it for like yeah. 12 plus hours that, but yeah, you, but you have to have it ready before your customers are there. So there isn't a wait to get this food. The food's just there. Right. Like <laughs> you go, I, you know, I lived in Texas for 11 years. Um, when you go to like a Rudy's or any barbecue place down there, you know, n- none of that stuff is being cooked to order. Absolutely none of it is cooked to order. Like in a lot of barbecue places in Texas, like you order like your order of ribs and, you know, pulled pork and stuff. And the guy like literally behind the cashier will just start sawing those ribs and stacking them in a platter for you. Right. Like, you know, it. and once again, like. I think it's just it's marketing and it's it's perception, it's consistency more than speed. So why do we call it fast food then? Right. Right. It's it's more it's efficient food or it's it's consistent um, food. E- expected food, consistent food. Um yeah, it's a uh, uh what's the word? Settling food. Right, right. And like most of the time this fast food doesn't taste bad because if it tasted bad it no, wouldn't, you wouldn't go you, you wouldn't go it tastes expected right like there's just a certain level where like if you buy like the one dollar mcdonald's cheeseburger it has the right ratio of ketchup and chopped up onions and pickles and hamburger patty and bun that you're like this tastes all right um i was fine paying a dollar for this um, it hits my brain right, fills my stomach to some extent, and right. I can feel the chemicals going to my brain saying that that was all right. Right, and then and then you go back because you want that you want that feeling again, and don't want to take a risk of getting something worse. 
Right, right. Like, you can go to a barbecue place, like a local barbecue place, and some days, you know, their food just might not be as good as others. Um, you know, some days, like, they're, you know, maybe they didn't season the ribs quite the same way, or the brisket didn't come out quite as, uh, quite as how you liked it as you did the previous time, or maybe that time it was better than and the previous time. And it's not even like it's moving away from being a question of quality, right? Because Taco Bell, for example, has always been known as using not very high quality ingredients. But a taco in and of itself, a beef taco, ground beef is not the highest quality beef in the world anyway. You're seasoning it. You're doing things to it to mask that. You know yeah. what I mean? That That's the whole point. Um and then you get into, you know, fast food restaurants getting into the, you know, better for the world or, you know, the niche market of wanting to attract a new client base. I've actually tried the Impossible Whopper that, that Burger yeah. King has. And, you know, I've actually tried an Impossible Burger at a Hard Rock Cafe. So, like, you know, in the, okay, we cook this like a burger, you know, the the gimmick to the Impossible Burger is that it tastes and has the texture which that's the problem with most plant-based burgers, right? Is the, the texture. They they're can usually never get, too get crumbly right. or something. Yeah. yeah. But this one, their whole point is, you know, they, they even put like beet in there to like give it the red runny, like, like blood right. type of thing. And I got to say it, you could easily fool me if I didn't know that that's what I had ordered. You know what I mean? Like it was delicious. It was cooked. Right. So then I go, okay, what is an impossible Whopper? Like, because a Whopper, I don't want it to be that burger that I just got from that restaurant that is cooked medium and is juicy and gooey and messy. I want to be able to pick it up and eat it like a fast food burger. So can they, can, are, have they right. done is a good consistent? enough job of making yeah. a product that can actually substitute what I expect from Burger King? And they nailed it. Do you right. know what I mean? So you yeah. have someone that like, that's something that's coming out and kind of could be, you know, hoity-toity sticking their nose in the air. Oh, no, we don't want anything to do with a fast food restaurant because that's low quality food. But they just went right in and said, no, we, we can apply our high quality standard to exactly what you expect. And it's cool to see those two opposite ends of the spectrum. Right. And I but, think the way you frame that is really interesting because how you framed it in the rain in the hard rock cafe versus the burger king one is that when you went to the hard rock cafe the what was the trial for the impossible burger was that it tasted like a beef burger whereas when you went to burger king was did it taste like a whopper Yep, exactly. And I think that's a very interesting distinction between the two. Because one is trying to replicate... One, you went in looking for, is this replicating this specific, you know, these flavor profiles, this texture and stuff, versus does this replicate the product? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's a really interesting distinction. And that, that, that's what it is, right? The fast food, quote unquote, food is, is, product. Is, is product food. It's marketing and I mean, food. Right. And food is always product in a restaurant, but it's product capital P. 
right but a rest but but a, but a restaurant a sit-down meal is normally marketing to you that we're replicating something that you don't have the time or you don't want to put in the um you don't want to put in the effort, but you expect it to taste like you or someone put in the effort for you. Whereas right. at a fast food place, no, 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 this is literally, you don't have time and you also don't really have time to be eating. Right. <laughs> like that's, the, not only do you not have time to cook it, but you don't really have time to eat it. So just, right. just, like, just get here, like eat it, and the move drive along. Through, the drive-through basically, it, it gets to that point exactly. Like, I don't know how much... I mean, I get I visited Europe, so I do know that places there do have drive-throughs, um, but it's not quite as extensive as it is here with our many highways and such. Um, it's just a very different thing, you know. We just with a very with a very busy culture, with a very um, workaholic culture in the U.S. I guess it lends itself to desiring that need for consistency with a certain level of speed. Not necessarily the fastest thing in the world, but fast enough and consistent. Right. So it's interesting to think that fast food is maybe more brand than it necessarily is actual descriptor. Well, right, because if you really had to knock it down to expedience than any Asian food restaurant that is a delivery based venue is all fast food. Right. right like but, any place that we, does takeout. But we immediately hold them to a to a higher distinction from a quality standpoint because right. because one it norm one it normally has a restaurant attached to it. And two, you know, they kind of have a um each one kind of has a distinction like they're they're supposed to be replicating a particular food type not a brand whereas it, right. it's it's the you know the olive garden for example is a sit down restaurant but the olive garden is a marketing thing the the olive right. garden is you know you don't want italian food you want olive garden food like there's right. there's a big difference there right right, right. Red when lobster, people say they crave Italian, they mean like, oh, I'm craving my local Italian place, and right. not when, this. When you say you want Olive Garden, you want Olive Garden. You don't want to substitute that with another Italian place. Exactly. Um. So, so with that, I'm going to say, you know, do you, do you have a final thought on on this particular topic? Because I I do have to get going. Um. For this topic, not exactly. Um. I guess the only final thing I really want to do is um, this uh, the sizzle show um, yes. where we yes. just give a, a recommendation of something we've been enjoying recently. Yes. And yeah. And then we can uh, kind of sign off from there. So I don't know if uh, you have anything that you uh, um, really want to recommend right now. Just well, uh, send out into the world. Yeah, I will. I will mirror the rest of the internet and and just like I did to you earlier, and tell everyone that the the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance is worth your time and could be one of the best, if not the best, fantasy television show ever made. Um, it, it rocks it for me. I absolutely loved it, and I want um, everybody to check it out. And also, there's a good crop um, because we're coming into October. There's a good crop of um, 
of horror movies on Netflix right now. And um, I've been I've been kind of uh, knocking them out, you know, ones I wouldn't normally have watched. And I just recently watched The Invitation and The Last Exorcism. And The Invitation was great. And The Last okay. Ex and The Last Exorcism was a lot better than I expected it to be. It's kind of like a found footage, you know. Ever they made a thousands of Exorcism movies, but it has the intuition to end at the right point. I'll just leave it at that. It it doesn't. It doesn't overstay its welcome, and so it leaves you in a really like, oh wow, all right, I like what they did there, <laughs> you, you know, kind of a thing. So okay. th- th- those are my things. All right. Um, so I want to shout out um, a show. It's on HBO called uh, Los Spookies. Oh, I've and heard that's great. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I just want to shout it out because it's like it's not a super um uh discuss show right now so i think it could use a little more love um but it's this very very weird idiosyncratic show it's uh bilingual but like mostly spanish i would say the show is like 90 percent in spanish and like 10 percent in english but it's all subtitled um and it's just very it's very odd and it has this very dry sense of humor it would be like how best I could describe it is like a a Spanish language semi like magical realism Napoleon Dynamite. Oh man! Like the humor is super dry. The characters are really weird, and it's just like this very odd, very dryly humorous show. And it was produced by uh, Fred Armisen, I think. Nice. Um, and he plays a reoccurring character in the show, and it's just really, really different, really unique. I'm. It's not like a gut buster of a show, but it's definitely just like so different and so niche that I would recommend it to anybody who wants to just check out like a very uniquely specific kind of humor. Awesome. All right, man. Well, that's about it for uh, tonight's episode of Spoiler Alert. Oh, man, that was awesome. Andy, thank you for um, coming on and doing that. And we should start scheduling our next one. All right. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I love coming on here. And it it was a pleasure. I'm going to go pass out. Uh, Thank you for shooting the shit with Chippa and drinking beers and running your old college radio show with me. And until next time, um, this has been Andy and Chris. We'll see you guys soon. Good night.